Well, when I was in high school, I had one prayer and one prayer only, and that was to be great at football. My father had been great at football. He had a binder of newspaper clippings of his exploits on the field. My older brother had been great at football. He had a similar binder with similar newspaper clippings about his success on the field. So I felt like when I entered high school, I have got to be fantastic at football to earn the family name, right? So I went out for the team, and my freshman year, at 120 pounds, they made me the center of the offensive line, (laughs) which was a great indignity uh, and a good indicator of how great we were at football, that someone weighing around 100 pounds was on the offensive line. Not a great year. But I worked out hard the next summer, came back, and they made me cornerback on defense. My job was if the ball came out to the side, I had to tackle that guy. And so I remember the second game of my sophomore year, they brought me up to JV, and I was pretty excited. I was like, it begins. (laughs) Ben's march to greatness. And I remember getting out there, and I was scared, and I was praying beforehand, God, give me the strength to do this. God, all glory to you. Let me crush some fools, that kind of stuff. And I got out there. And I remember first defensive series, they tried to throw a pass in my area, but the quarterback kind of threw it high, so the guy had to stretch out to get it right in front of me, and I was like, ah, nah, son. So I ran up and tackled him, and I remember the whole defense ran around, and they hugged me, and they're like, you did it! And I was kind of like, I did, didn't I, guys? Did I do it? I think I did do it, right? And it was kind of a confidence builder. Next play, I remember they ran the ball on my side, and they ran a sweep. That's where the fullback was coming out to tackle me, so the tailback could run around me. And I remember my coach told me, when that happens, you have to run and you have to knock the fullback out of the way and then tackle the tailback. And I was like, me? How do you even, is that possible? But I ran out there and I did everything he said. I hit that fullback. He moved out of there. There was the tailback looking as surprised as I was that he was right in front of me. And so I grabbed him and we went down and I stopped the sweep. And the whole team ran over to me again and they were hugging me and they're like, you did it. And it was at that moment, it just sounded like the the soundtrack kicked on in the background. You know, like the electric guitar started. And I was like... (laughs) I did do it. My name is Ben Stewart. And I play football, right? I was just like, this is it. So I remember the next defensive series, it began, and they ran the ball the other direction. I assumed because they were scared of me at this point. So I took my pursuit angle, and then all of a sudden I just saw sky, grass, and I was on the ground. And my leg hurt, and I was like, man, what? Somebody dead-legged me really hard. And I remember I tried to get up and the trainer ran out and he was like, no, 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 stay down. I was like, no, I want to get up. I don't want to be that guy that they make you stay down. Everyone gets real quiet. And then after a minute, he hops up and he's fine. And you're like, why'd you stress us out like that? Like, I didn't want to be that guy. So I was like, no, get up. And he was like, no, 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 stay down. I was like, no, I want to get up. And then he put his hand on my knee and I just started screaming profanity. Uh, And uh, to the point where he was like, stop, stop this, stop it right now, right? And long story short, That afternoon game became a night game because it took them a while to get the ambulance on the field. And as they got me back to the hospital and showed me the x-rays, they showed me I had snapped my femur clean in half. Part of it over here, part of it over here. Yeah, biggest bone you got. So I remember laying there in that hospital bed and I had a couple days where I had to recover. And it was in those days laying there, it dawned on me, number one, my football career is over. And number two, I was theological enough to think, and God did this to me. God did this to me. I asked for one thing. I wanted to be great at football to, so, my, so my father and my brother would think I was okay. That's not a bad prayer. And you took it from me. Why would you do that? Why does he do that? H- how do you continue to walk by faith with a God like that? 
that's what we're talking about today. We've been in this series called Confident, talking about walking in confidence with God. And Louis talked about that last week, praying and believing God's going to do great things, gripping onto the promises of God that he's going to move in power in our life. And you know, some people that have kind of a naive optimism of God's going to do anything in our life, nothing's impossible. And then something happens where he doesn't grant a request. And it can become from a naive optimism of God's going to do anything in my life to kind of a jaded pessimism of, hey, let's pray for my sick friend. Okay, he's probably going to die, but whatever. God, just, uh, I guess, take him out easy. I don't know. You know, and we just sort of don't necessarily have the most motivational prayers. And compounding this problem of how am I supposed to live in confidence in the promises of God in the midst of the pain of this world is the fact that Jesus complicates things. In moments like this week we're celebrating, the last week of his earthly ministry, Jesus began that week riding in as the victorious king into Jerusalem. And then that next day, the Monday of Holy Week, his disciples watched him curse a fig tree and it withered right before their eyes. And they were like, how did you do that? And he said, you thought that was impressive? He said, you will do greater things than these. I tell you the truth, you can say to that mountain, cast yourself in the sea and it will do it. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. What an incredible promise. Casting mountains in the sea in Jesus' name. Nothing is impossible for those who follow him. And yet that very same week, at the end of the week, Jesus gathers the same disciples and he says, be on your guard. They're going to deliver you to councils. They will beat you in the synagogues. You'll stand before governors and kings, and the gospel will be proclaimed to the nations, but they'll bring you to trial, deliver you over. Don't be anxious about what you're going to say, because in that hour, it will be given to you to speak by the Holy Spirit, but your brother will deliver brother over to death, father his child, children will raise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my namesake. So Jesus... Sounds optimistic in this same week. You'll cast mountains in the sea. And the same Jesus says, hey, look, they're probably going to kill you. All right? Actually, it's very much a guarantee. And they're going to hate you while they kill you. But don't worry. The Holy Spirit will give you something to say before they kill you. Imagine the disciples were like, why? No, like I liked Monday's speech better. I mean, how about, I don't know, the Holy Spirit will have them not kill me. Could he do that? Like, that sounds like a better plan. Like, I'm just spitballing here, but it's like, hey, how about the Holy Spirit make them not kill me, not give me a motivational speech before they kill me? That doesn't sound like a bad plan, does it, Bartholomew? I feel like that's a good plan. So what do we do with a God that calls us to have confidence in his promises and yet seems to have a comfort level of talking about our pain? How do you pray to a God like that? What are we supposed to think as we talk to a God like that? Well, I want to submit to you as we wrap up this confidence series, I don't want us to have a naive optimism, but I'm not trying to make us jaded pessimists either. But there is such a thing as a hope-filled, confident, bold realism, and that's what I want, and that's where we're going. And I think 1 John gets us there. 1 John, John is writing to people who've put their faith in Jesus, and he's going to talk to us about how we interact with Jesus in 1 John 5. And he says in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life 
And this is the confidence we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the request that we've asked him. So John says, the whole reason I wrote this letter is so those of you who've believed in Jesus would know you have eternal life and not just know that you have eternal life, but you would also have confidence that when you pray, he is hearing you. And when he hears you, he's inclined to grant what he requests, what you request. And so John's saying, I wrote all this stuff so you would be confident prayers before God. So the million dollar question is, what did he write? What is John gonna say to us that will make us confidently pray in the midst of the chaos of this world? And he's gonna give us three things. The first thing I would say he gives us comes in verse one of chapter five. And when you back it up, he's talking to them and he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. How do we pray with confidence in the midst of the chaos of this world? I think we pray in the midst of the pain with confidence. How? Because we come with the confidence of a child. We come with the confidence of a child. How can we pray confidently? He points back, and look what he says. He says, I write these things to you so that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And he uses family imagery. He says, I want you to be confident in prayer. Why? Because you're in God's family. You're born of God. God isn't just doling out forgiveness today. He isn't just overlooking the bad things you've done. I can forgive somebody and not invite them to my house. I can forgive somebody and I certainly don't have to adopt them and give them my name. But he's saying the amazing thing God does is when you put your faith in Jesus, not that he was a moral teacher, not that he was a motivational guy, but that he was the hero in God's story. When you believe that, when you're trusting in him to lead you on into forever, you, something happens to you. You don't just get forgiven. You get invited into the family of God. You become a child of God. He looks at you as if he's a father and you're a son. And he says, you can have the confidence of knowing he loves you like a dad loves his kids. How do you enter into the family, faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, evidence that you're in the family, the people who love God, they love his kids. If, if you love me, you're gonna love my kids. There's no such thing as loving me and hating my little daughter Sparrow. No such thing. You can't look at me and say, Ben, I love you, but your little two-year-old, blah, get him out of here, right? No such thing. If you love me, you love my kid. And he says, God's building a family. And when he builds this family, the evidence that you're in the family is you've trusted Jesus. Or that's the entrance. The evidence is we begin to love each other. He builds a loving family together. That's how we know we're in it, right? And so he begins to talk to us like this, that we're the children of God. And what happens? By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. How do I know I'm in the family of God? Because I believed in Jesus. And then something happens to me. I start to love God's kids, and I start to obey God. Why? Because God loves his kids. I start to look like him. My children look like me. My children don't look like me in order to become my children. My children look like me because they are my children. Do you see that? That's why. So my little daughter has a big head. That's not something she's been working on to look like her dad's big head. It's a function of being a steward, right? When she was one year old, I remember she came up to me and pulled out her pacifier and went, what's up, what's up? And I was like, where did you learn to, why are you saying that to me? And my wife was like, you say that to her every day. She thinks that's an appropriate greeting. And I'm like, weird. 
But she didn't do that in the hopes that one day I would claim her as a daughter. She did that because she is my daughter. I brought her to life and she starts to look like me. That's what John's saying. So catch this. How am I confident in prayer? I write these things so you'll have confidence that when you pray, he hears you. What's the basis of that confidence? He's brought you into his family. He's adopted you in the family. He's committed to working on you to make you like him. He loves you like a dad loves a kid, right? And so I pray with confidence. Why? Confidence because I have a family mentality. I'm his child, and he loves me. I remember reading about a debate one time two pastors were having of how to pray to God. And one was advocating formality because of the highness of God. He's like, you don't just come barging into God's presence and say whatever. There should be more formality because God is high and we are not. And the other person says, no, we should have a a comfort with God, like a daddy. Like, we should have a comfort with him. And they were battling over these things. And finally, the guy that was into more of a formal relationship said, hey, look, you don't go barging into the Oval Office. There's decorum when you enter the president's office. And then this pastor said, you do go barging in if you're his son, though. You do. Because that's what little John John did. Photographers showed us that from JFK's presidency. Do you remember that? President of the United States sitting in the Oval Office, world leaders around him. Little John John on the desk, (laughs) right? Just hanging out up there. Could one of these other dignitaries hop up on the desk and start playing with daddy's hair? No! But John John can he's a son. So God says, come to me in confidence in the midst of this chaos. Why? Because you're my kid, right? Because you're my kid. And so we're meant to come to God with confidence. Why? Because we're his child, right? That's how we're meant to come to him. Jesus talked like this. Jesus says, what one of you fathers in Matthew 7, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? And it was kind of a funny thing to say. It's like, if your kid's hungry and asks for a fish, what dad's going to go, yeah, I got something for you, son. Here's a snake. He's like, no dad's going to do that. And then Jesus says, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids and you're evil, how much better do you think your heavenly father will give good gifts to those who ask him? And what's Jesus doing there? He's confronting our unbiblically low view of the heart of God. He says, you're evil. And yet you would, if your kid's hungry, you're going to give them actual food. Your heavenly father's holy. And if you're needy, do you think he doesn't want you to come to him? So you might have been hurt in the past, and we'll talk about that, but the reality is God's context is I want you to come to me like a child to a dad, knowing that you can have the confidence that I'm going to hear you and be inclined to agree with your request, that we can have the confidence we know we come to him, and that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. Now, that according to his will is what blows up a lot of people. They're like, see, that's the thing. I've asked God for big things, but you say it's not according to his will, and so that's his veto over everything. Yeah, but if you have the confidence of a child, you know that according to his will isn't diminishing your request, it's improving it. My kids make requests all the time. And it's funny, they pitch them. I don't know where they got these ideas. Like my five-year-old will always walk in and she'll go, I have a great idea. It always starts with that. She goes, I have a great idea. Fruit snacks for dinner. And I'm like, that is not a great idea. That is a terrible idea. But what I love about that is she trusts my father's heart enough that she's not trying to steal fruit snacks because she says this evil taskmaster is going to keep. She comes to me because she knows I want to hear her voice. 
and I'm inclined to agree with her request. Now, I do veto it according to my will, because I'll look at her and go, you need some protein, girl, because protein builds muscles. Make a muscle so you can't. That's why daddy's working on you. <laughs> Trying to build you up and make you strong, right? And so we gotta eat actual food. And then the fruit snacks, they're gonna follow it up. It's gonna be amazing, but we're gonna start here with this chicken. And we begin to work on that. And what happens? She accepts it. Why? Because she knows I'm being guided not by her whims, but my will. And my will has her best interest in mind, even when she can't see it, right? And so we come to him in confidence, knowing he's a loving dad, right? That's the first thing. And so there's that family mentality. But then John turns the corner and he does something really interesting. He says, we know we're the children of God because we obey his commandments. Who likes that word? But then he says, but his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. Did you hear the switch in verbs? He goes from family language to overcoming victory. He starts moving to military language. How can I come to God and pray in confidence? There's a family perspective. I have the confidence of being a child, but then there's a clarity of I come as a soldier. There's a military perspective. He says we're meant to walk in the commandments of God, but that's not a burden to you. Why is it not a burden? He says because in this war against the darkness of this world, Jesus Christ has overcome and purchased for you victory. What he's saying there is this world's a dark place and the darkness isn't just out there, it's in us. We feel that. We violate our own standards, and we feel the drain of it. And if God says, be always loving, be gentle, be humble, you go, that's so hard to do. I can't do it. But I can if Jesus Christ is working in me. And that's where John pivots. He says that Jesus Christ has won the victory. Jesus Christ has overcome. And then he starts into this whole thing. It says, and who is the one that overcomes the world? except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit's the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and they agree. Now, y'all don't sound as motivated as maybe John's trying to make you. So I'm guessing you're a little confused by that. I know for me, when I first read it, it wasn't necessarily like, yeah, he came by the water and the blood. I'm like, what does that mean, Right? Why is John trying to motivate us with that? He says, there's a weight to our sin, but Christ is overcome. And then John does something interesting. He's like, let me tell you who this Christ is. He came by the water. What does that mean? He's pointing to Jesus' baptism at the beginning of his ministry, that Jesus stepped in and he got baptized to wash away his sin. No, he didn't have any. That's why John the Baptist was like, I don't even know what you're doing here. Why are we doing this? And, and Jesus lets him know this has to be done to fulfill righteousness. What does that mean? He says, I'm coming to live the perfect human life you can't. And so I'm going to identify as a human being. I'm one of you. And I'm going to live a perfect human life you could not. And he launches his ministry, and he does it. At the end of that ministry, it says he came by the water and the blood. Blood is his blood. He died on that cross. Why? He who knew no sin became sin for us. He went to war against darkness and evil on our behalf, and he took the punishment on himself, let it bury him and kill him, and then he overcame by rising from the grave. And so John, to give us confidence to pray to Jesus, he says he overcame the darkness that's in us, and then he points to the historical reality of Jesus' beginning of his ministry, death and resurrection, which was a beautiful thing for him to do, because if I want to start a religion, you wouldn't root it in historical events. Because then you could verify whether or not it's true. So if you're trying to start a cult, keep it 
ethereal. Just say there's dolphins in the sky and only I can tap into them, right? Like, because then we, we don't really know. And if you're really persuasive, we'll go, maybe there are, right? But don't tie it to a date. And yet John says there was a man named Jesus. He was born here, raised by these people, lived in this area for this long, did these things, died on that hill, not that one, but that one over here. And he ties the whole event to history so that for all the rest of our lives, we can look and say, a real guy really came, lived the perfect life we could not, went to war against sin, let it kill him, buried, and rose again victorious. And he says, your confidence is built in that guy. That historical hero who came to this earth and made war against sin, your hope's in that guy. And But he starts using this military imagery of he overcame, and in him we have victory, meaning there's a fight still to be won. And he says, he's the one who we pray to with confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But did you catch the context of our prayers? There's the family context of I come with confidence because I'm his son. But there's the clarity context of I come as a soldier in this great campaign. That's the context John gives us, that when I come to Christ, he is a hero who went to war for me. And so I pray according to his will, according to his purpose, my prayers will be sifted by mission priority. So if you think God is just hanging out in heaven, and we're here just kind of trying to figure out how to follow the dictates of our heart, God will always confuse you because he won't give you what you want. Why won't you give me a girlfriend? Why won't you give me a husband? Why won't you give me a wife? Why can't I have this job? Why are you holding it off from me? You're just standing up there going, no, no, no. And you go, that's so frustrating. But if you understand that this world is really dark and a real hero came to make war against that darkness and that real hero saved you and he's calling you into that mission, then let me tell you something. You'll pray with confidence to the degree you pray alongside that mission. And that's where life gets fun that suddenly it makes sense. My prayers are according to his will. He's on a mission and I get invited to go with him. That's an energizing thing. So in World War II, the 101st was charged with taking the city of Foy. There was intense resistance set up in Foy. And so the 101st had a commander named Dyke who was not a particularly good commander. And he was charged with leading his men through a very dangerous, vulnerable opening through a field and then to take them in the city where the enemy were holed up and take over the city. Dyke led them out into the middle of the field and in the most dangerous, vulnerable place, folded like a lawn chair and just kind of had them all kind of kneel down in the most dangerous place to be. And they realized this is an incompetent leader and he's hurting us. His CO was watching all this take place from the safety of the tree line. And as he saw this man unwilling to lead his troops and his fear and cowardice was costing his troops their lives, he looked over at Lieutenant Spears and said, those are now your men, go lead them in this battle. Lieutenant Spears, without hesitation, sprinted into that open field. He ran to his men and got word of the situation. Some of our men are cut off by enemy troops over there. And they said, without hesitation, Spears stood up as gunfire whipped past and started to charge towards the enemy. And they said it was the weirdest thing we'd ever seen. He's running at the enemy full speed, and it was so confusing, they didn't fire back at him. They're like, is that guy, is that guy running at us? Why would he do that? You're supposed to hide and shoot. Like, what is he doing? And he just charged at them. And he jumped their barricades and ran past them. And it said it took them a minute, but they were like, we should probably shoot that guy. And they started shooting at him. But he ran through the enemy lines, got to the other troops who had been cut off, gave them some leadership and instruction, and then... His soldiers 
later told historians the crazy thing was then he got up and ran back through enemy lines to lead us. And by this time, they're shooting the 88s at him. They're shooting anti-tank stuff at him. One soldier was like, I was really impressed by that, that they fired their biggest guns at this guy. And he never paused once, sprinting to his men, risking his life for them. And they said, when that man knelt down to us, he didn't kneel down and say, so what do you guys want? You want a sandwich? Bob, I noticed those pants don't really go with your shoes. Could we mix that up a little bit? What do you want? What's your dream? Let's talk about our dreams for a minute. He didn't do that. Not that dreams are bad or pants are bad or any of that stuff's bad, but you're in a battle. So he knelt down and said, men, we're going that way. And they said, when we saw a lieutenant that was willing to lay down his life like that for us, we said, yes, sir, and we joyfully followed that man. That's the context John gives us. We pray to a leader like that who faced down death and hell for us and says, we're still on a mission. The world's still dark. There's still a lot of broken, sad, horrible things happening in your junior high, your high school, your office, your world, your country, your city, this planet. There's a lot of darkness. And so, yes, we can ask him for things that we prefer or would be nice. But when we start asking for things that are online with his mission, that's what gets him fired up. That's what you saw the early church doing. When Peter preached his first message, they arrested him. It would have been easy to go, God, I'm just trying to serve you. Why am I arrested? It's going to be on my record. I'm not going to be able to get a job. What's it going to do to my, you know, like, but he doesn't pray like that. It says he went back to the guys and was like, hey guys, I just got arrested, right? And they were all like, woo! And they started praying together in Acts 4. And it says, man, this is what you talked about. The nations would rage in vain, and yet we will take the gospel to the nations. And so then they said, so God, let us preach with more boldness. And then it said that room shook. And I don't think it was them shaking it like, hey, let's do this as we pray. <laughs> they were talking to Jesus Christ who fought against death and hell on their behalf. And they were praying, Jesus, we want to be in this with you. We want to be a part of this with you. And I think Jesus was like, that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to back you up. You're going to start doing some crazy stuff. You're going to take over this whole region. I think Jesus puts his energy behind people who are on his mission. So how do you pray with confidence? We pray with the confidence of a child. He loves me and wants to hear my voice. But we pray with the clarity of the mission. He will sift our request by mission priority. It would be evil of him to divert his energy to our little side projects while the world is going to hell. So we have a commander leading a great cause, and we get to be a part of it? I remember for me when I was at Texas A&M, I don't know if you know this about Texas A&M football team, everybody in the crowd stands throughout the entire game. And it's a symbol. The symbol is... Coach, we will go in if you need us. That's what we're saying to the coach, right? Because way back in the day, that's what happened. The coach called a basketball player out of the stands, E. King Gill, and had him suit up. And so we all stand to be the 12th man. Like E. King Gill, I'm ready, coach, at any time. And I remember thinking, how crazy would it be if he called us on that at one point? If he looked at you and was like, Barbara, suit up. You'd be a little terrified. I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if my dreams are consistent with this. All right, you'd be a little freaked out. But then if you're watching the team accomplish this great goal and you're down there and 55,000 people are screaming and you're down there and they put the helmet on you, you're like, this is kind of awesome. I could be on the sidelines. People pay money to do this. They get a little lanyards and freak out. But I'm here and I'm part of the team. I'm part of the action. I'm part of the game that's winning a goal. And one of the coach looked at you and said, hey, I want you to go in. You'd be like, that is unbelievable. I get to be part of the team? Yeah. And I want you to take the ball 
and I want you to run it into that end zone. That would be a pretty thrilling thing. You'd be a little scared, but you'd be pretty excited too, right? I get to make a difference in the game? That's even better, right? But what if he said, hey, someone might bump into you though. Is that a deal breaker? Someone might hurt your feelings out there. If you love the team, you'd say, they can knock me stone cold unconscious just as long as my limp body crosses that goal line, right? I will take the pain if I get to be a part of your purposes. Put me in, coach, right? And that's how we're meant to pray, right? With the clarity of a soldier. So for me, I was frustrated when God broke my leg in football. Absolutely, no question, frustrated. Is it okay to pray for success on the football field? Absolutely. Does he answer that for some people? Absolutely. Did it did it for me? No, he did not. But I remember as I did rehab on my leg for months and months and months, I remember I would sit out there in the field house, and back then they didn't have those machines that break the scar tissue in your leg. You had to do it yourself, just sit there and break it over and over again. And I remember I would just lay there and try to break the scar tissue in my leg. And I remember this youth pastor came in. He said, hey, Ben, can I talk to you for a second? I said, yeah. He said, here's the deal. The coach has given me an opportunity to talk to whatever freshman on the football team I want. It's optional. They don't have to stay, stay school, you know, whatever. But anyone on the freshman team, if they want to come to an after-school deal, I'm going to speak to the freshman football team, and I want to tell them about Jesus. I said, that's great. He's like, yeah, what's even better is I talked to McDonald's, and they're going to give them all burgers, fries, and a drink, so they can all sit down there and eat, and we can do that. And I was like, that's great. And he was like, yeah, here's the deal, though. It's just me, and I need some help. He says, but I can't get any of the other guys to help me because JV and varsity keep playing football when the freshmen get out. And then I realized, oh, yeah, Ben. Ben's not out there playing football because he broke his leg because you can't play football anymore because you're in here. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. (laughs) He's like, so maybe you can help me. I said, yeah, man. So I crutched in there that day expecting to hand out some burgers and fries. So I'm doing that. The entire freshman football team came. I'm handing out a hamburger to this guy, fries over here, Coke Bob, can I text you, or tempt you? On and on it goes, here we go. And then I remember I stood back and looked over at Eric, and as they're all sitting down eating, looking up, Eric looked at me and he goes, say something. I was like, excuse me? He said, somebody has to tell him about Jesus, get after it, man. He kind of walked out and I was like, wait, what? And so for the first time in my life, I stood up in front of this room full of people and told them, you're beautiful because you're in the image of God. There's something, something about your strength that's an image of your maker, but you're broken because of sin. There's something wrong with you. you know, Jesus Christ came, lived the perfect life you could not, died the death you deserved, beat death. The enemy rose from the grave so that you put your faith in him. You can become a son of God, given the power by God to break through from the bonds of sin and live a life that's victorious and, and beautiful. And, and that's the offer God is giving us in the name of Jesus. And I just explained that as simply as I could. And I remember they gave these little cards to these guys and handed them back. And at the end, he just handed me two stacks of cards and said, hey, you probably want to look at these. One stack of cards was a group of guys that said, hey, I want to hear more about Jesus. The other stack was guys who said, I want him. I want to know the Jesus you're talking about. And I remember holding those cards and looking at my leg and I thought, this is better. This is better. It's not just a consolation prize. I guess I can't play football, so I guess I'll do ministry. (laughs) It's better. 
And God doesn't have to break everybody's leg to get him into ministry. I think for me, no one told me, hey, Ben, at 5'9", 120, you probably don't have a long football career. It's a shame it took that much to convince me of that. But man, did God answer my prayers? No. According to his will, he sifted it. That's not part of the mission for you, Ben. But what I have for you, according to my purposes, is better. You get to be a part of this. And that's the last piece. We get a family mentality when we pray. That gives us confidence. He wants to hear me. We get a military mentality, and that helps us. I'm going to pray on mission. And then we get an eternity mentality. And this is the testimony that we have eternal life in his son. Eternal life. If all your prayers are just for God to bless us temporally, you've missed what this game is about. God is playing a temporal game for eternity. Will we get everything we want in this life? No, we will not. And yet the people who really knew God and really loved God, did they ask for freedom from pain? All the time, and it's okay to do it. But even more so, they asked, leverage my pain for ministry because I want to be a part of what you're doing. Because when we cross through death into eternity, that's where the party begins. That's where the fun is housed. That's where my hope lies. And so Jesus Christ prayed on Holy Week, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. He said, I don't want to go to that cross. Not, not like this. I don't want to face this. But then he self-sifted. But not my will. Your will be done. And Hebrews tell us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He said, I don't want to go through this pain. But I know, God, you leverage pain for your purposes in eternity. And I see that if I endure this pain, it will open the door for millions to be in your family forever. Then I not only will endure the pain, I will joyfully walk towards it, trusting you. And that's what we're meant to do. So we pray in confidence, not naivety that he'll give me whatever I want, but not pessimism that he doesn't care. But I have the confidence of a child, the clarity of a soldier, and the certainty of victory. And that makes me pray in power and in faith for the glory of God and the good of all the people he will allow me to influence.